Tried to turn on my microphone right at the right moment, and then I didn't, so now I did. Or maybe it's not the right moment. So, in the 1980s, which was a long, long, long time ago, before many of you were born, I look out upon all of you youngsters and think, you weren't even around then. In the 1980s, um, was a period of my 20s when my life came unglued. And, uh, you know, up until my early 20s and maybe even a couple of years beyond that, say to 22, 23, 24, I was sure I was in control and that I was chosen. You know, that God was on my side. I could do no wrong. Awards and glorification, uh, even if it was in my own mind, uh, you know, was just mine for the taking. Uh, I was beloved of everyone who knew me, at least in my own mind as well. You know, that is uh, the illusion we can all live with. And so... I, you know, went off to college, I, I found a job, I worked as an associate pastor for two years in my last two years at UVA, I was sent to a four-point uh, charge, four churches in Georgia, while going to seminary in Georgia, I uh, served those four churches, had six services a Sunday in those uh, four churches, uh, mostly because I think in those days I must have been a deep masochist. But, uh, you know, I, when I went there, they had like three services, a, a, you know, three services a week. One, they would alternate in churches. And then every Sunday night, as was the tradition in Georgia, there was a Sunday night service at 6 o'clock. So, and it rotated from church to church to church. So you just better keep yourself straight about which church... If you were supposed to be at Vanna and you went to Stinchcomb, you were in trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. So you had to know which one you were going to. And uh, so, but I said, no, no, let's do six services a weekend because all of you should have worship every Sunday. So, uh, so then we did. You know, 8 o'clock in the morning we would have communion service and then... 9.30, 10.30, 11.30, 2.30, and 6 o'clock every Sunday, I uh, went from place to place and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. At least I vaguely remember that that was what I did. And then I either burned out or I had hoped to save my first marriage or all of those possibilities, and I left ministry. Uh, and I waited on tables. If you want to talk about a fall from grace where people looked at you with, uh, the, when you're a pastor, people, at least in the 80s, not so much anymore, but they used to th think you were respectable, that you were upstanding, that there was something fine about you just by default because you carried that title. And so uh, I left that and did uh, waited tables. And then I applied to law school. Then I thought I was going to law school. I was accepted at law school. And then the marriage came apart anyway. Uh, the first marriage came apart anyway. And uh, then, uh, mostly probably because of me, that's just life. So then I became a customer service representative. And then, uh, and if you want to talk about even lower than waiters and waitresses, <laughs> customer service over the phone. 
I started first in billing for a doctor's office. Oh, calling people. Yeah, I know you've already had the procedure, but you better cough us some cash, sister. You know, uh, can I convince you to give me $15 a month? You know, or 50 or 500 or 5000 you know it's you know it's only money uh you know and then i went from that to being on the other side of customer service working for an insurance company yeah i know we didn't cover that we read the book it's not in there <laughs> only you don't say that to customers you think to yourself it's you know it's not self-explanatory and sometimes you don't understand why you don't cover things so and I was poor in those days, you know, peanut butter sandwiches on, on bread, and it didn't matter if there was mold, you just scraped the mold off, put the peanut butter on there anyway, and just pretend like you didn't remember that there was mold on it before, and hope it didn't grow back before lunchtime, <laughs> you know, uh, because he wanted to enjoy that. And what's, what's funny for me as I look back on that, I can tell the story in such a way it, it offers perspective and it was character building. But I want to just tell you right now, there was no good happy word for how things were in those days. It just stank. Sucked. It just was the pits. There was nothing happy about it in those moments. I had reached what I considered to be the proverbial bottom. You know, and it was in those moments that I found the faith that began to grow into the faith I have today. Now, I thought I had faith. I mean, I had been a United Methodist pastor for like four years. I'd been a United Methodist, well, I would say all my life, except we didn't become united until 1968, the unifying conference of 1968, 1969, when we officially became United Methodist. Prior to that, we were Methodist. So for the first six years of my life, we were just Methodist. And then I became United Methodist. So I haven't been United Methodist my whole life. And apparently, if things go the way they may, there may not be a United Methodist Church after 2020. I don't know. I mean, we're doing these in strange dances and fights, and in this is all a digression. The bottom line is I reached the bottom, and when I reached the bottom, I began to uh, seek spiritual practices that would ground me. And so I, uh, I had a vast collection of books from my days as United Methodist pastor. And strangely enough, there wasn't really a good book that I found helpful. So I pulled the Book of Common Prayer from my Episcopal sisters and brothers. Uh, United Methodists have Anglican roots. Uh, we broke away from the Anglican Church. John Wesley didn't intend that. Well, let's not go there. The long and short is I found in a daily practice of morning prayer and evening prayer a grounding, a place that in my weakness, God could begin to work. Once I lost control, you know, what's interesting to me is Richard Rohr defines suffering as any time you're out of control, when you no longer have control. And most of us in our lives learn that Control is an illusion to begin with. If you ever feel like you're totally in control of what's going to happen next in your life, just watch. <laughs> just watch. And it might be something minor, you know, the light bulb, you know, burns out in your living room right after 
you had thrown away the last light bulb or you didn't go to the store. You thought to yourself last week at the store, I probably should get light bulbs. But you said, no, not this time. We're fine. Just wait till next week. And now there's no light in the living room and you're out of control. Or the television doesn't work and your game is on and you want to see it to save your soul. Because you're sure that if you watch the Green Bay Packers play, they will win. I'm convinced if I watch, don't, if I watch they'll lose. So I don't watch anymore. I just listen after the fact. I always support them, but not by watching. <laughs> Too painful. So when we're weak, we find out what we're really made of. When we are at the bottom, we find out who we really, really are. You know, you can look really good when everything's going all right for you. You can look really good. You can put on a front. You can be convinced yourself you've got it together. And then when it all comes unglued, you don't have all the answers. I think that you're blessed in all honesty because you don't have the pastor I was when I was 22. Because... There wasn't a lot of room for grace in my life because I earned it all. And grace, there's nothing you can do to earn it, baby. And speaking of that, we're going to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to take a look at a bit. This is a story about Paul. Um, it's not so much a story. It's him bemoaning the fact that he has a thorn in his flesh that he is struggling with, that he is struggling. He I was given a thorn in my body, is what he speaks of. It's not a literal thorn. I, at least I don't think it is. No one thinks it really is a literal thorn. We don't know what it is. Everybody guesses. I guess we'll chat with Paul about it in eternity and say, dude, what was the thorn, man? Uh, or maybe by that time we won't care because we'll all have our own thorns and recognize our own challenges. So beginning in verse 8, Paul says this, I pleaded with the Lord three times for the thorn to leave me alone. He said to me, my grace is enough for you because power is made perfect in weakness. So I'll gladly spend my time bragging about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. Therefore, I'm all right with weaknesses, insults, disasters, harassments, and stressful situations for the sake of Christ. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, one of the most important things that I've ever learned about spirituality that I want to share with you on this journey of faith is... When you are strongest, when you're convinced you're strongest, you're the least teachable that you will ever be. You can't learn anything when you already know it all. <laughs> when you are certain you are right, baby, there is just no room for there to be any space for you to learn anything new. Why do I need to learn anything new? I've already got it all. I've got everything I need. I know all I need to know. But when you're in that broken place, that wounded place, that empty place, the place where you are eating moldy bread. 
with peanut butter. I, I mean, there are people in the world who would die for some moldy bread. Skip the peanut butter. I can't sleep either. Uh, so the challenge of it all, the challenge of it all is recognizing that in a world that tells us it's all about us being strong enough, we have a different message as followers of Jesus. God said what is strongest is what appears to you to be weak. And you know when God was the strongest? When he was hanging on a cross. When he was hanging on a cross, powerless. Powerless. Unable to stop it. Unwilling to stop it. That's when God was God. That's when Jesus showed us what it's like to experience the true power of God. Because in the moments I'm most vulnerable, that I'm most weak, that's when God can use me. That's when I'm open to being used whatever way. I'll do whatever you say, God. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> you know, anything's got to be better than moldy bread. <laughs> no, James. No bread at all could be worse. So how do we find this way? Well, there are a couple of things that I saw in here that I found interesting. First of all is a word that we don't use in American culture. Enough. We never have enough. You never have enough. I don't care how fast your car is, it's not enough. I don't care how big your computer is, it's not enough. I don't care how big your house is, how many channels you have on the television set, it's not enough. If you've got three phones in your house, you need six. You always need more. You know how I know? I watch commercials. I never smell good enough. I am never clean enough. I am never fast enough. Lord, I'm never old enough. <laughs> or I'm too old. <laughs> Whatever it is, there's not enough. And yet, what is Paul's word? My, the word that Paul gets from God is this. My grace is enough. It's enough. What would it be like if you realized you had enough? Do you have enough right now? At this moment. I'm not talking about don't start thinking outside the room. Do you have enough air to breathe right now? Do you, do you have enough space to sit? Did you have enough popcorn? Do you need some more? I can send Linda over to pop some right now. <laughs> I got the look. I could go over and pop some right now. Linda can take up the message. <laughs> All right. Let's see. When I am weak. See, when I started to think I was in charge. Did you notice how I started to think I was in charge? I could tell my wife what to do. <laughs> I learned he was in charge a long time ago. <laughs> it is God. It is God. What did you all think I was throwing Linda under a bus? <laughs> oh my gosh, what kind of people are you? <laughs> okay, well, does anybody have like a couch 
I think I'm going to be couch surfing for a while. Extra bed in the house. Erin moved out. Does she have like an eye? <laughs> okay. We're back. Enough. Do you have enough? Is there enough in this moment for you to recognize what enough even looks like? Because the fact is, for all the more you want, there's no definition to more. There's no definition to it. So no matter how much you have, there will always be more to have. Because guess how big the universe is? It's infinite. How much is half of infinity? Infinity. Half, of, uh, half twice infinity is infinity. It's just endless. <laughs> there will always be more to have as if you could ever have it. Because almost everything you have isn't yours to begin with. It's on loan. You think your life is yours? Sometimes it lasts for 100 years. I've unfortunately, uh, one of the first funerals I ever did was somebody my age. I was 19, he was 19. I want to talk about not knowing what you were doing. It was only the second funeral I'd ever been to. <laughs> the first one I assisted on. <laughs> I, didn't go to, I didn't go to funerals as a child. People died, but I didn't go. So the truth of the matter is, how much is enough? And if you can come to see that enough right now is enough, and God's grace is enough, because right now you have enough grace. And you can't earn it. I don't care how hard you try. Work, 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 work your fingers to the bone. Be morally perfect as if that were possible. And you can't earn grace because it's a gift. A free gift. It's yours. Just say yes. And it's enough. The second thing I learned from this. Power is made perfect in weakness. Now, that sounds like an oxymoron in itself. Power is made perfect in weakness. Until you realize the word they translated perfect is really not, can be main, it can mean perfect, but it can also mean complete, whole, or mature. Any one of those. Power is made mature in weakness. Power is made whole in weakness. When you're exercising power over another, sometimes you can abuse that power, overstep your bounds. But weakness teaches you lessons you cannot learn when you're convinced you're in control. It teaches you you have to rely on one another. Another myth, I, I hate to tell you, another myth is that you walk alone in this world. The truth is, no man is an island. John Bon Jovi. Okay, not John Bon Jovi. I was kidding. I was kidding. Allusion to a movie about a boy. There you go. So, John Bon Jovi did not write, no man is an island. But no one of you is an island. 
you're part of a community. And it's not just a community of faith. You're part of the eternal, universal community. You are all in Christ. And Christ is in everything. Because he's the word that's spoken in creation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. Nothing was made that was not made through him. And that word was spoken, and the Big Bang began. And here we are, and Christ is already in you. You're not Christ, but you're not other than Christ. There's no one you will encounter that does not carry the image of Christ in them. So, being weak teaches us, makes us teachable, helps us to learn. But don't ever take this sermon to mean that the next time you see someone suffering, <laughs> whatever that form of suffering that's out of control in their life, and say something to them like, so, you'll get through this. It's okay. It's fine. Apparently, there's a story told about me as a small, small child. We lived right across the street from Indian River Baptist Church, a lovely church, you know. Uh, and uh, there was a funeral going on. Uh, across the street. I was like three. And uh, so I said, I, I didn't know what was going on over there because it was the middle of the week and there were cars there. So I said, what, what's, th what's that? It's a funeral. What's a funeral? It's when people get together because they're celebrating someone's life and they're glad for the life that they had. So I went out the back door onto the back porch People were coming out of the funeral, and I yelled out, three-year-old me, so imagine at a much higher pitch, are you glad? Are you glad? <laughs> just, just want to know, you know, uh, are you glad? Don't ask that question when someone's in the pits of suffering, when their lives are out of control. Best you can do then is what Job's friends did in the beginning, and that was simply sit with him, be with him. Not offer wise pontifications about your own suffering. Because I'm sorry, no matter what suffering you've had, you've never had somebody else's suffering. So don't try to put that on them, but be present with them. And in being weak, weak, and I'm not talking about them because they're suffering, but I'm talking about you by not having wise words to offer. You are being strong. By not having a advice to offer about the suffering. Well, you know, if you'd done what I said, you wouldn't be suffering now. I know none of you would say that. See, I could use that one. But the truth is, it feels weak. It's the greatest strength you can offer a friend is just to be there. To be open to whatever's going to happen because life is not about being in control. It's not. And if you think you are, it's an illusion. And it will pass the next time you lose control in obvious ways. So, what do I want you to know? God's grace is enough. I heard it. It's enough. It's enough. And 
When are you strong? When you're weak. It's probably cheated right there. That's the cheaty line. Mark even put the cheat cheat on the board. I mean, it's huge. I couldn't have written up. It's broken chain and everything. When I am weak, I am strong. When you are weak, those are the moments you can be taught. 